Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Caitlin Barnhart and Jess Westbrook are the founders of the Mayfly Project, an organization that uses fly fishing to help mentor and support children in foster care. The Mayfly Project introduces children in foster care to their local fisheries with the hopes that it will connect them to a rewarding hobby, ultimately providing them the opportunity to have fun, build confidence, and develop a meaningful connection with the outdoors. In this episode of Anchored, we discuss the project, how it works, and how you can help. So Jess, let's start with you. What is your, briefly, what's your story? Where were you born and raised? Okay. So my name is Jess Westbrook and I'm from Benton, Arkansas, and I'm founder of the Mayfly Project. So um, for me, I've grown up fly fishing. So I've fly fished nearly my entire life. I've done everything from guiding in Alaska, um, guiding in Arkansas. And it wasn't until like six years ago that I started using fly fishing as a healing tool. So um, in 2014, my first son Case was born. And when Case was born, I started having anxiety attacks. So, and that was the first time I'd ever had anxiety attacks. And so that was the first time that I realized that fly fishing could be used as a healing tool. So I had a buddy um, that started taking me fishing with him. And uh, it was a guy that I really looked up to. He had like a TV show and, you know, I was, I was younger. And so I really looked up to Chris and, and so I wanted to be around him. So every time he asked me to go fishing, I'd go. And so I noticed every time I was on the water that, um, you know, that my anxiety seemed to disappear. And uh, so, you know, one Sunday at church, I knew that I always wanted to give back with fly fishing. I just didn't know how. And one Sunday at church, um, they were talking about foster kids. And I looked at my wife and I was like, you mean like these kids don't have parents? I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that means, you know, because we love our son so much. And, 
So I looked at Laura and I was like, that's what I want to do is I want to start taking foster kids fly fishing. So my wife, Laura and I, we started, you know, uh, taking just local kids fly fishing. And in late 2015, we decided that uh, we wanted to make a logo to sell some t-shirts and we set up a 501c3 and um, and that was in December. And then in March, 2016, our logo uh, was done by Andrea Larco and it hit the internet. And Caitlin was the first person to contact us. And uh, Caitlin was like, Hey Jess, you know, I'm, I'm from Idaho and uh, you know, I've been taking foster kids as well. And I was like, Oh man, that's awesome. And she was like, we should like make a, a thing out of this. I was like, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to think this is as cool as we are, Caitlin, you know? And she's like, yeah, no, I think they will. And I was like, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And so uh, long story short, right. So Kate and I basically built the Mayfly project from the ground up, uh, you know, starting in March, 2016. Can I ask you a couple personal questions? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Why were you having anxiety attacks? Was it just the whole, you got a newborn and I mean, we all know what that's like. It's stressful. Is that yeah. what was going on? So, I think that, um, I th- you know, for me, you know, when Case was first born, uh, so he didn't sleep at all, right? Like he was born at 2 a.m. and like he didn't shut his eyes until 8 a.m. You know, most newborns like sleep and he was like wide awake. And every time Laura was was feeding, I would get up. And so I don't know if it was like the the lack of sleep or excess caffeine, you know, but I basically started having real anxiety about my health. So I was like, you know, if something were to happen to me, who's going to take care of case. And so that's kind of what my anxiety was about. My anxiety was more like health related. And so I'll never forget, like I was in the shower and I felt like a lump in my throat and I like, I was like, Oh man, that's it. I have cancer. Like that's it. Who's going to take care of case, you know? And then it was like real panic attacks and they started happening and I lost like 30 pounds, uh, you know, within like a six month window. Um, I was a 30 year old, you know, man. And my parents were coming over to my house because I was missing work um, you know, now when I lost the 30 pounds, I looked great. I mean, let's face it. I looked great when I lost the 30 pounds, but, um, but yeah, so it was a real, <laughs> yeah, it was a real, uh, it was a real struggle. So yeah, but my, my anxiety was, was generally like health related and worrying. Like if something happens to me, who's going to take care of my family? Okay. I got it. So it wasn't like it was some deep seated issue from your childhood. Right. And, and I'm, tr- I'm asking just because you said something that t- absolutely floored me there for a second and, and it, and again, this is just me looking at my own experiences. I grew up with a ton of foster kids. That was just mm-hmm. like part of part of life. I, I would say in every year of elementary school and high school, somebody in my circle was a foster child. And you, you know, for you for you to learn about it later on in life, it, is it? I know that it runs rampant everywhere in the states and in su- the southern you know United States. Was it? Is it something down there that's hidden or like? you just floored me when you said that you'd never really, you didn't know much about it. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, you know, roughly there's like 425,000 kids in the foster care system at any given time. And, you know, we call them, you know, the forgotten population, right? Because it's, it's a hard subject that nobody really wants to talk about, you know? So um, I grew up in a very, you know, middle-class family and later in life, right? Like I'll say within the last five years, I've had, people contact me from my high school and be like, Hey Jess, like, you know, I was in foster care in high school. And I'm like, I, I had no earthly idea. So not that it was something that was, I'll say hidden, but I think it's just a really difficult subject that nobody likes to address, you know? And so it's not talked about a whole lot. Right. Right. Well that, you know, and, and again, I'm going to paint myself in a corner here and sound really ignorant, but I did live in the South for a year of my life in Arkansas. And 
And I will say this, and again, this is just my experience, but I did find that there was a lot of stifling. There was a lot, there were a lot of things that were felt and a lot of experiences and whether it was religion or whether it was just the way that, you know, proper people didn't say mm -hmm. anything publicly, there was a lot of um, silence. And, and that's really, that's just really yeah. interesting. I grew up in obviously British Columbia and while it wasn't like it was slathered on the walls when a new kid came to class, it, it was just common knowledge that they were a foster foster kid and i will to be totally transparent in this podcast and tell you guys that it, they stood they stood out um and maybe it would have been better if we didn't know but these are all things i'm hoping to talk to you guys about a little bit more as we progress through the timeline of the mayfly project yeah that sounds great caitlin what about you what's your story apart from the fact that you're just awesome and, <laughs> and a go-getter and reached out to jess when when you found out about him so i grew up in uh, north idaho in Sandpoint, Idaho, up kind of by Canada. So um, I've always been like fishy. Like I grew up outdoors with my grandma, you know, fishing with a spin rod, that kind of stuff. And then um, went to college in Tacoma and studied psychology and um, started working in the foster care system in college. So I would transport kids to and from their foster care homes. And that's really where I started to really learn about the foster care system and just how difficult it was for these kids to transition from like their foster homes and have like supervised visits with their parents. And uh, it was just a really difficult time. So when I was transporting the kids, I'd start taking them like to water and we just like throw rocks sometimes. And that's when I first realized like time outdoors was super helpful for these kids kids to decompress. And so then after college, once I graduated, I went and worked at a sport fishing lodge in Alaska and learned about fly fishing. I had no idea people let fish go ever. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Catch and release was new to me. Um, but I just fell in love with fly fishing in Alaska and kind of used that time to decompress from like a crazy senior year and some family stuff that I was going through too. So fly fishing became kind of my go-to. Um, and then in between years in college, I worked for uh, the Forest Service and did stream restoration. And so I'd spent a lot of time already on rivers and creeks. So when I connected with fly fishing, I was like, this is my thing. And so when I came back um, from Alaska, I started um, getting into my career more and uh, took a career working with kids in foster care and residential treatment and started just fly fishing as a way to decompress from working with these kids. Um, and then from there, I started taking kids fly fishing because uh, the companies I worked for said absolutely not. They thought it was like the dumbest thing ever to take kids fishing because insurance wouldn't pay for it and they just didn't think it was worth it. So I was pretty certain it was something that would be good for them though, just because of what it did for my own mental health. So I started taking them kind of on the side, like I connect with the foster families and um, start taking the kids here and there. So um, at that point where I, I knew like just from seeing these kids out there feeling good about themselves and learning about nature and actually smiling um, was, I knew it was going to be something that I'd want to do for the rest of my life. So um, then I had kids and got kind of crazy busy with my career and stuff. So um, it was about six years ago when I moved back from um, Southern Idaho back home, I started uh, taking some local kids again. And that's when I saw the Mayfly Project logo on Facebook. And when I saw that, like I got so excited, I called um, I messaged Jess and then I think we were on the phone within like a couple hours after that and we talked for like an hour the first time and um, just quickly 
connected and and we're all like had the same language and similar experiences working with foster kids so it was so exciting to just like meet somebody that was excited about it as I was so that's kind of how I connected with Jess and Laura and look I've got to be honest when I first spoke to you guys I was like okay yeah so it's like all the other programs where you take a, a group of people whether it be people with a disability or people who have got their own, you know, struggles or whoever the group of people may be that need the help. I just figured you guys took them fishing and then you sent me out a package so that I could really grasp the concept. And I was, I'm looking at it right now, dumbfounded. I mean, it's a, it is an extremely organized, well thought out, fully in-depth package that you guys sent me and, and program that you guys offer. Can you just walk us through what the program is exactly before we start to pick away at the details? So the Mayfly Project, so we mentor our kids through five sessions within a six-month window. So the six-month window is is both a stopping point for the kids and for the mentors, you know. Um, and so uh, we mentor our kids. The first four sessions typically last like two to four hours, and we're teaching everything from, you know, casting, conservation, fly tying, uh, knot tying, you know, everything you need to be a fly fisherman, right? And then um, on the fifth outing, we like to make that special. So on the fifth outing, you know, depending on the kid's location and 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 what the um, uh, you know the vicinity to the river and all that good stuff, you know, we'll do a day trip or we'll do an overnight trip, and uh, the mentors will then give the kids everything they need to fly fish on their own. So we'll give them their own fly rod, their own pack, their own um, flies, tippet, everything. So our goal is basically to take them from point A which is probably, you know, not knowing what fly fishing is to point B, which is, you know, knowing what fly fishing is and then having all the gear to do it. And so kind of like you said, April, with, you know, everything that we've developed, you know, we have uh, we have a button system. Right. So we have nine buttons that our kids can earn throughout the system. And, you know, it's everything from, um, you know, washing your boots and, um, you know, picking up trash alongside the river. So we've got nine different buttons our kids can earn. We've got a curriculum that, um, you know, our kids can follow. So it's, I think it's like 109 pages and it's got everything from the characteristics of an angler, you know, and it's got, it talks about, um, which I'll let Kate kind of hit on that a little bit. Um, Cause that's Kate's kind of specialty characteristics of an angler. It's got fish ID. It's got where do fish, you know, lay in rivers. It's got blueprints of the flies we tie. Right. And we also have videos that go along with that. So everything in our program is, I guess, inclusive and connects. And, you know, we also have a Minty Information Center on our website where our kids can go back and reference, you know, stuff that we've learned throughout the program. And so that way, you know, when the program's over with and they're like, man, how did I tie that flyer? I can't remember. Like we have videos that go along with everything that they've learned. So that's a little bit about the program, I guess. Where do you guys find these kids? Well, every community is different. And we've learned uh, going across the country that every state is very different, too. So basically, when we come into a state, we have to figure out, like, what is the foster care system like? And do they even have group homes there? And what systems are in place? So it takes a lot of research, honestly, to get into a state to figure out how it operates. And then um, we just try and find group homes. It seems like group homes are the best fit for us just because the staff comes along and Um, They're also super eager to get their kids out and the kids benefit so much from just like getting a break from each other too and love having that one-on-one mentor time because then they're getting that attention. So group homes are our go-to, but in several other states, we work with individual foster families too, just because it's, they don't have group homes or we found like foster families are excited as well. So we also utilize CASA a lot and 
court appointed advocates because they also help us connect to kids. But honestly, that's sometimes the hardest part of the Mayfly project is finding the kids that to participate and jumping through all the hoops and making sure the background checks are done. And um, it is it is a lot of work, but it's it's definitely rewarding once we finally see those kids out because we know like we pushed through it and we found them. And um, so it is it can be a process, but we work hard to find them. So are you guys nationwide then? Yeah. We'll we'll be in 30 states in 2021. Okay, that's impressive. Something I wanted to ask you that a lot of people, you know, some people might not know what a group home is. Would you mind explaining what a group home is? Yeah, group homes are places where foster kids go. They are sometimes places for kids that have um, special behavioral problems or they've been in so many foster homes that they can't go into other foster care homes. So it just depends. And also there's kids in the group homes that are from um, places where they don't have a lot of foster homes available. So they end up in a group home basically because there's no individual foster families for them. So there's different types of group homes basically that we work with. Whoa. Okay. So you guys are really going, I mean, that's tricky. Those I've, I have met and fished with some of those kids and especially the ones between like 13 and 17, they're difficult. Um, I, I, def, I, I, when I was working or when I was living in Arkansas, we took a group of troubled boys out fishing on a, on a private river out there on a private spring Creek and they were troubled and I could see how fishing helped them, but I can also see how it would be a lot of work for you guys. And, uh, every day is different from the last and you just never know what you're going to get. So, can you walk me through how the process goes? You just, what do you just walk in the group home and say, Hey everybody, today we're going on a field trip. I mean, what, what does it look like? How do you get them out there? So we go through a pretty intense process building up to the outings because we want to get to know the group home and we want them to understand our safety rules and our expectations. And then also we want to meet their expectations for safety with the kids too. So um, we have it all planned out, all of the dates planned out ahead of time. And then we usually don't tell the kids until the day they're going just so that they don't get their feelings hurt or anything happens. So um, we have it all pretty well organized as far as like the kids show up up and we do like a fun circle up time together and then uh, we'll teach something and then break into smaller groups to practice. So the kids are together for a little bit, but then they're broken into smaller groups too. So it works really well. Um, we definitely have had a, our share of uh, interesting experiences with the kids, but for the most part, these kids, they show up pretty um, nervous or, you know, looking like they don't want to be there. But once they really get into fishing and realize we're there to just have fun, they turn into just kids on a river. And it's really cool to see that transformation. You know, one of the things that I remember, because growing up, I've had three close friends, all who are in foster care. And I know that a commonality between all of them was that they all suffered with abandonment issues, not only from their parents or their biological parents, but also from being bounced around through foster homes, landing in homes that might only be taking them in for the money, uh, where are they going to end up when they're 18? Like their whole lives, they struggled with abandonment. So how do you manage that when they finish their program? There, there must be, they must relive some sort of abandonment issues knowing that it's over. I know that they can access the material and that there's recordings and stuff, but what do you guys, how do you, I mean, I don't know if management's the right word for it, but what kind of precautions or, or program, like wh what's the next step in the program? Where can they go from there when they feel like they don't want it to be over? Yeah. So uh, that's a good question, April. So kind of like 
you know, uh, we were talking about earlier, like we have that, you know, that defined moment, right? Like we have a, a defined thing that's leading up to this, this fifth outing. Right. So, you know, they, they know that it's, it's five outings and then, you know, that's kind of it. Now, granted, you know, um, group, you know, kids that are in group homes for longer, right. than six months. Um, we've had some kids we've worked with for four years. So if they're still in that group home, we'll, we'll still take them again, you know, and they, they love it. I mean, they, they love it so much, but, um, you know, I would say that like we, we, we still have resources for them, you know, the 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 you know, the mentor information center. Um, we also have like in the back of the curriculum, like TU's been generous enough to give us free memberships for all of our kids. Right. Um, we also have, you know, there'll be times where we take them to fly shops or, you know, we, we try to connect them to their local community. Right. So a lot of people when you know, when we're talking about, OK, well, this is how the Mayfly project looks. And we you know, we always say that we're connecting our kids to their local ecosystems, right? So they can, you know, ride their bike to the, the river or the pond or, you know, whatever it is. So um, we, we still try to, you know, provide those resources for them, you know, long-term with, you know, TU or connecting to, you know, um, like I said, local fly shops, just anything that um, luckily they can, can uh, you know, get involved with after it's over with. And like I said, they can always, um, you know, there's actually a spot on the men, on the, uh, the Mentee Information Center where they can log in and like send us an email. You know, I've actually had like two kids uh, send emails saying their fly rods were broken, right? So we just ship them a new fly rod, you know? So we always want to be here for them, but we definitely want to have that clear like start and stop line for, for, for the kids. So they know that we're not just, well, why aren't they coming back? You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, well, this is, we have this six month window and we're going to do these five sessions. And then um, if that makes sense. It does. So what's the average age of the kid that you're working with, of the kids that you're working with? I would say like um, probably, you know, anywhere between 14 to 16, I would say like young teenager are probably the majority of them. We'll say, you know, we'll start um, generally at eight years old. So that's kind of the, you know, not granted if you have a seven year old that's super mature, we'll definitely take them too. But um, we normally say, you know, from eight to 18 is normally what we'll you know, what we're mentoring. And I'd say the majority of them are early teens. Do they have the option of being able to volunteer as a mentor to other kids once they're, you know, 17 or 18? So we do have some mentors that are uh, past kiddos that have gone through the Mayfly Project program. It doesn't happen very often just because of the nature of the foster care system. It's really hard to um, track kids down and, um, you know, keep them plugged in. But the kids that are really in, continue to be into fly fishing, like we do hear from them and uh, invite them to help. So as we're building the Mayfly Project and getting years out, we're only five years old. I think we'll have a lot more of that in the future of kids that want to come participate um, because it, it becomes not only just like something fun for them to do, but it becomes their identity as well. So that's kind of our long-term goal. And we'd love to have kids that have gone through the program to come back and mentor. Like, I think that would be amazing. If there's one thing that you had to say that you see the most in your kids, would it be that they've come from a drug background? Would it be that they come from a violence background? Would it be that they're all, I don't know, um, have ADD? Like, is there anything in particular that you've come to notice that most of the kids share? Well, every kid we work with has been through some sort of trauma. So that's the common, the common denominator really is trauma. And it can be trauma from their life with their parents or even trauma just being in foster care. Um, so we really take a trauma-informed approach when we work with these kids. And we, when we train our mentors too, is we're trying to 
meet these kids where they're at, understanding that we don't really know their journey, but we know it's been difficult. And our goal as a mentor is to not traumatize them more and just provide a safe place emotionally and physically for them to enjoy the outdoors and learn about that. So um, yeah, every kid is, has a different story, but all of them have been through some form of neglect and also are dealing with life that's uncertain in foster care. So that's kind of the common denomination. And that's kind of where we, we build our program around is just the trauma factor. Do they end up networking with each other and building relationships while there? So, so yeah, so, um, so definitely just, um, you know, we will have kids that definitely bond over this. Right. And um, the cool thing is, you know, there'll be times where, you know, uh, they're, they're fishing with other group homes. So here in Arkansas, we had a, we had an event last year where all of our projects came together for one final outing. Um, you know, and that's something, you know, even though these kids were from, from different parts of the state, um, they'd all been through the Mayfly project and they all had something in common. Right. So, uh, you know, April as a, as a fly fisherman, right. We can always find common ground, um, on the river, you know, and, and we also, I know Kate had an outing, uh, I guess it was, it was maybe like, three weeks ago or so. And, um, and there was, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the group home leader actually said, she was like, yeah, I mean, these girls argue all the time. And this is the first time these girls have not argued, you know, since they've been together. So um, they definitely, uh, you know, just like we find, you know, we find peace and, you know, healing on the river, our kids find the same thing. And it's, you know, um, you can definitely tell a difference um, when you get the kid in the middle of a river. Let's go over some stats, if that's okay. So you'd mentioned earlier, how many kids did you say are in foster care in the United States every year? 400,000, something or other? Yeah, like 415,000, 425,000 kids. Do you have any other information that the general public might not know about foster care children? Um, like how many of them end up being okay? How many of them, how, how many homes uh, on average a, a foster child is put through before they are either released or, or, you know, landing somewhere permanently, just any fact, any stat statistics at all that you can hand over to us or explain or share. Yeah. So off the top of my head, right. Like roughly 23,000 kids age out of the foster care system every year, you know, with no support, no, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a 35 year old man and I still have support from my parents. Right. So, um, you know, 23,000 kids age out of the, the foster care system every year. Um, out of the kids that age out, roughly 42% of them will be convicted of a crime. Um, I think uh, one in four of them will be homeless by the time they are 21. And those are all the stats that I just have off the top of my head. Kate, do you have any any stats that you can add to that? No, I mean, that that's right, right along the lines of what I was going to say, too. Um, there's there's crazy stats, too, for how many kids end up like in the jail system long term as well. And when you look at like sex trafficking and the, those stats, too, the majority of kids that are sex trafficked are kids that were in foster care that either got lost in the system or aged out of the foster care system. And we're trying to find somewhere to go, basically. So um, it really is a harrowing situation. And um, it definitely like the foster care system definitely needs uh, people to care and, and people to care about these kids for sure. I think there's also a lot of studies being done on the the impact of mentorship with this, this population too. And so I think in the coming years, we're going to see a lot more of the, those statistics too. And we haven't found anybody yet that's proved the importance of fly fishing for this population, but 
I want that to happen for sure in the future because I think they're going to see some really cool stats from that too. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, and it actually hit like a ton of bricks the other day. We were driving up the coast and I, I saw a sign of a young man on the, <laughs> excuse me, on the billboard. And it basically alluded to, you know, that he was 18, out of foster care, and just didn't know what to do next. And I can't remember what the call to action was or what the what the foundation was, but it really hit me like a ton of bricks that these kids are, are some of them are done foster care and, and then they're just on their own, right? And, and I was hoping you could paint a picture. Now, I know there are some fantastic foster parents out there. I know some personally who have adopted their kids, who have been there for the kids through thick and thin, but I know there are also some you know, people who are just in it for, for the money and for the system. So in a situation like that, what would happen? The kid would, he or she would turn 18. Is that the age? Yeah, they turn 18 and then they have released. Yep. They're released at 18. So, um, usually they'll either go into a transition situation. So they do have some situations where foster kids have some support through a caseworker, but that support is fairly limited. And also when kids reach that 18 years of old after being in the system, they're so sick of dealing with caseworkers and all of that, that they usually are just like, I'm out of here, you know? So um, there are some um, homes that help, like help kids that are homeless in foster care, but there's not enough for sure. Like there's definitely not enough homes for transition. As, just from my profession, you know, working with foster kids, I, I get messages on Facebook probably at least once a month from one of the kids that I've worked with in the past and try to stay plugged into them and just give them advice. Like sometimes it's about like drugs, like I don't know if I've been drugged or Sometimes it's simple as like, what should I do to get health insurance, you know, and um, there's just so much in there that uh, people need to know, like these kids really are on their own, like they really do want to have a good life, like they want to be a good an adult, they want to learn these skills, but there's no one to really teach them those skills. So the more we can provide like mentoring opportunities and teach them that people do care about them and are there for them, then the better they are in the long run to ask for help too. Have you guys thought about taking it to the next level? And this might just be me living in a real idealistic world that doesn't make sense when it comes to, you know, living in reality, but there are so many anglers, maybe not necessarily fly fishermen, but just anglers in general. And so many of them are older. Their kids may have left. You know, they're desperate to share their knowledge with somebody. Have you guys thought about creating a branch of this that is like a big brother or a big sister kind of, um, you know, ent entity, something where a kid is designated to a particular angler and, and they don't need to, you know, obviously they're not there to, to raise them or provide money, but just to be there as a helping hand for questions like what fly do I need? Or maybe when they're out on the river, the kid can ask about insurance and things that you'd want to ask an adult. I mean, I would do that. If you guys had a foster system or like a, a big brother, big sister program, and I was in America or even here, wherever, and, and you wanted to designate me a child, I'm time poor and I might not have the money to give to them, but I could at least offer a day a month on the river with them. Yeah, that. Well, that would be amazing. I think uh, the struggle that we found with that is just it's so much of it would be out of our control. So um, we've that's really been something that we've had to assess through the whole Mayfly project is, you know, we want to provide the safest experiences for those kids. And if if we're not a part of it and there with it, then we can't 100 percent say that it is safe for them. But I would love I mean, 
we have to be dialed. Jess and I are dreamers. And so we have to really like rein each other in a lot because we both are always like, Hey, what if we, how could we do this? We could do this. Like there's so much that we could do. So I no doubt see the Mayfly project blowing up into something like that. But right now we're trying to like stabilize and like rein, rein each other in into staying focused. <laughs> and just like Kate was saying, April too, just to kind of piggyback off it, you know, all of our outings are set up where, um, you know, we have, have, you know, we work in three people group at least, right? So there's accountability, you know, there's just all these different things that, um, you know, thinking through as an organization to, like Kate said, to make sure that the outings are safe and to make sure that both the mentors and the kids are safe, right? Like there aren't any kind of false accusations that can happen and stuff like that. So yeah, those are definitely, that's definitely a a cool idea. And I'd love for that to happen. You know, uh, like I said, just got to think through all that stuff. You know, we'll put it on Kate's to-do list. That's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Liabilities are a very real issue. You know, you've got to watch out for that too. So I can see how that would become, it's so hard when your heart's in the right spot, right? And you want to do all of these amazing things, but it's just the the administrative side of it can be so overbearing. Um, How do you guys, how do you guys manage that? Do you guys have to have special insurance? Like what's, what are the behind the scenes that people that might not know? Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good question. We, um, you know, coming into this, you know, so I have a background in business, Um, you know, I have um, accounting and, um, you know, finance background and Kate has a background in social work. So uh, when Kate and I kind of came together, you know, just like you said, Kate was like, Jess, like you gotta, you know, you gotta think about all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh man, I just, you know, my, I'm like, I just want to take these kids fishing, you know, Kate, what's, what's the big deal. And um, you know, so yeah, so we do, we have, um, you know, we have a policies and procedures manual that all of our mentors have to read. And, you know, um, it's got all kinds of good information in there about how to keep them safe and keep the mentees safe. And we do have, um, insurance that covers all of our mentors and mentees, right? We have a general liability policy, a board director's policy and a sexual abuse policy. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, um, like I said, on the, on the business side of things, you know, everybody's definitely covered. And then, um, like I said, Kate's got the social, social services background. So, um, Kate's written some really good policies and procedures, uh, to make sure that we keep everybody safe. If you had somebody listening right now who was a foster parent who thought that this might be a good fit for their kids or for their child, uh, what do they? How do they reach you guys? So probably the best way uh, would just be to go to our website, which is themayflyproject.com, um, and submit an inquiry through our website. Uh, and you know, we have, like Kate said, we have roughly you know forty-five to fifty projects that are going to go off in in twenty twenty-one, and you know, in thirty different states. So. Um, we're expanding, you know, fairly rapidly and, uh, yeah, we, we try to get kids plugged in, um, no matter where they're at, even if, you know, we don't have mentors, you know, in that area, we'll go ahead and send that kid, you know, a curriculum and a fly rod and all that good stuff. We may not have somebody who can work with them directly, but, you know, we can try to, um, at least outfit them and get them the gear they need to start practicing on their own, if that makes sense. How helpful could fly shops be if they were to participate? So fly shops are super important, right? So all of us as anglers, uh, when we first started out, right? Like where was I going to soak up knowledge, right? I was going to my local fly shop. So, and we actually have some really, um, you know, right now um, in Minneapolis, we have uh, Bob Mitchell's fly shop, who's really getting on board and, you know, and, and trying to create a project up there. So um, I think fly shops could be um, a very important piece to the Mayfly project that we haven't really seen 
necessarily get plugged in yet, right? Like, I mean, we have tons of support from, you know, from fly shops as far as like, you know, gear and flies and, and all that good stuff. But um, I think that in the future, fly shops could definitely play an important role um, in the Mayfly project and, and especially these foster kids finding a home base and finding a place to go get more knowledge. I can't think of anything better. It's just in the fly shops that I've worked at, you know, first of all, you've got an establishment. So you've, you've actually got a brick and mortar shop. Second of all, you know, they're always looking for more business. They'd basically be breeding themselves new customers. There are so many knowledgeable people in there who just want to talk fishing. There's all these guys and gals who come in and just sit at the counter and talk shit, right? You're right. <laughs> and I just can't, I just, I could totally see it being a perfect combination. They've got their own insurance. They already have all the gear. They could rent it out. They could offer discount. Like there's so many different ways that they could make it work. They could do tying nights. There's just a million trillion ways that people could, could meet up that way. I'm curious. I'll be very curious to watch you guys and see if um, fly shop integration is something that ends up becoming a real prominent part of your business plan. Yeah, I totally agree. And I definitely think it will be in the future for sure. If a fly shop was listening right now, because I will guarantee you there is more than one right now listening to this, thinking about how they could help. If they did want to help you tomorrow, would they be able to do that? Or would we be held up with policy? So, so that's a good question, April. So obviously it depends on where they're at, right? Like um, most of the time, uh, you know, it takes, you know, six months to a year to get a project up and going. Right. But we all, you know, we always, you know, we always, like I said, we have projects in these, these 30 different States and, you know, there's a flash shop close to them, you know? So, um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, um, just reaching out and seeing, you know, if we have a project close and we also have an interactive map on our website, uh, you know, so you can kind of go and check out like, okay, where's this project located? And so, um, that map stays pretty updated. Um, but yeah, and you know, we, we purposefully, um, you know, I say purposely, we, you know, we typically only will launch five projects a year. So we want to make sure that um, when we're creating these projects that we create sustainable projects, right? Like um, the Mayfly project is about quality, not necessarily quantity, right? We're, we're, we're focusing on one-to-one -one mentorship, right? And most of our projects are, you know, have five to 12 participants in them. You know, we're not just about um, pumping numbers, right? Like it's not just how many kids did you mentor? It's like, well, you know, yeah, we only mentored 250 kids, but we took them out five times. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, and I'm not very good at math. Um, that's a joke. Cause I'm going to count it, but uh, you know, uh, but you know, that's, you know, and again, I'm going to say that and I can't think of it, but 1250 <laughs> river experiences that they had this year. So we could totally, you know, do five outings with five different sets of kids, you know, and, and, and mentor a thousand kids a year, but we're choosing to, you know, focus on the select group and hopefully, um, you know, be positive change for this group. And so if we only change this one kid's life, like that's amazing, right? Mayfly project was completely worth it. All these sleepless nights, you know, all these gray hairs, like completely worth it. If we change one kid's life. The other thing that fly shops can do, we have a term sponsor a child to participate. So we have some fly shops that take that on as far as like having something out in their shop where people can donate to sponsor a child. So then that shop can sponsor a child together. So that's another awesome thing that we would love to see fly shops do. Um, and then the, the cost per child is $780. So it's really cool when a, when a shop or a, 
fly fishing group or a TU group takes that on because together they can fundraise and network and um, make make a dollar go a long ways that way. And it brings people into their shop and just all around. I think it's super awesome to see a community coming behind these kids too. Yeah, absolutely. So it costs about 700 and some odd dollars each for each kid. Yes. Yeah. So you guys are, you guys are not only organizing all of this, doing all of the events, but you're also trying to fundraise money to be able to fund it all. That's right. That's a lot of work. What's the, (laughs) is it just you? (laughs) Is it just you two plus volunteers? Yeah. So, and your, and your wife, obviously. Well, so, um, so my wife, she doesn't, uh, so we have three kids that are six and under. (laughs) So Laura, you know, is not, involved say yeah, no right, more right. Um, so so you <laughs> know so main staff we have um you know we have myself and caitlin and then my mother-in-law actually like she'll do some of the calls and she kind of helps kate out and then she also helps me out with um the packing stuff so like orders or project shipments uh, my mother-in-law does that and then we also have um a couple other people um that are really uh I'll say help us when we need help. Right. Like um, Heather sees she's out of Pennsylvania. She started a Colorado project and Heather helps just kind of like wherever we need her. Right. Like she's a um, accounting. She, she loves accounting and she also is very good at. Uh, so we have a back end to our website that uh, where we house all of our mentors. So we have um, roughly like, you know, um, 800 people that have submitted applications. Right. So trying to keep up with those applications and keep up with people's information so they don't get lost. Uh, so we have uh, other volunteers that kind of help us uh, navigate those things. Could you guys branch out and make it so that there was a representative in each state or is that just getting way too difficult to manage? That's our goal is to be in every state. Our goal is to uh, be wherever there are people that are passionate about fly fishing and getting kids out. So it really has come about organically. We've never said like, oh, we need somebody in Kentucky to do this. It's really people will reach out to us and say, we want to bring this to our state. Like we want to get these kids out. And so that's been, I think the coolest thing that has really shocked Jess and I is just how awesome the fly fishing community is and how many people are like, yes, we want to do this. Um, so it's not really our goal, but we know it's going to happen. There's going to be, um, you know, we want projects everywhere in every community just cause obviously we think it's cool, but, uh, we, we don't ever like push it or anything like that. It's just, we're having to turn people away, um, right now, just because we try to only start five projects a year. And I think next year we're signed up for 14. So, um, we're looking at 2022 now kind of pushing it out that way. But we've we've been talking to also a lady um, in the UK as well about branching out to the UK. So that's something we're getting prepared for because we've had a lot of interest from Canada as well. And um, we're just going to kind of let the Mayfly Project do what it does, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious. I know I saw the Reddington video that they did the other day for you guys, or you know, including you guys featuring Kayla Lockhart, and it was a really impactful piece. Um, I thought that it did a the piece did a great job getting your, your message across. I'd be curious to know that was released what a week ago, right? Yes. That's yes. Yeah. It was released a week ago. What has been the biggest response to that for you guys? I'm very curious to know if it's just people on social being like, woohoo, awesome. Or have you been getting an abundance of emails from people who really want to be involved? Are you hearing from the kids themselves? Like what's been the biggest impact over the last week with that marketing promotional piece? 
Yeah, so it's been it's been really wild over the last week, you know. Um, so you know, I'll say pretty much anytime we release, you know, a video, we've done a few. We've actually done some adoption videos. Uh, so um, we've done adoption videos. We've actually gotten six kids adopted by doing some of these videos. Um, but, oh wow! Cool. Yeah, yeah, super cool. But Kayla's video was definitely, um, I'll say, the biggest one on the biggest screen with the biggest platform, right? I mean, obviously, you have one of the biggest. Um, you know, names in fly fishing who's put out this video. And so uh, jokingly, uh, Kate sent me a text um, the other morning after it was released and was like, well, here come the applications. And like I opened my phone and I was just looking at it and it was like full like of applications. So, yeah, I mean, we see huge response. Um, I often say uh, that this wasn't done on purpose. Right. But, you know, I feel like fly fishermen are, um, are super passionate people, right? Like um, fly fishermen generally, um, you know, care about the environment. They care about other people. And, you know, we're connecting, I feel like the most passionate um, group of people um, to, in my opinion, you know, one of the most vulnerable populations, at least here in the U S right. And so, um, yeah, when that Kayla video was released, I mean, crazy increase in applications and donations and, you name it. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was laughing at Caitlin. Like I cleared my emails out and I looked at him like four hours later and I had like 80 emails. I was like, Oh my goodness, this, this is, this is wild. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty when you, crazy. When you, when you say applications, do you mean like kids to come in or applications to help out? Yeah. So applications for mentors. Yeah. Cause I guess you have no shortage of finding the kids, right? Is it just, you know, I hate to put you guys on the spot and I usually try to avoid these questions cause I never want to make anyone uncomfortable, but like just being totally honest, is it not totally overwhelming? Because we all know deep down that this needs to go everywhere. Like this needs to be in every bloody county, let alone every state. And really at the end of the day, it's two of you guys. Do you ever just feel totally overwhelmed? Yes. <laughs> uh, there's definitely times where we're totally overwhelmed, but um, Jess and I, like we're both crazy people. Like we're both very passionate and very um similar, I guess, like we can both, we can take on a lot and we get really, you get a lot done, I guess, when we're excited about stuff. So um, we get totally overwhelmed, but we actually both like thrive off of the craziness, I think. So um, to see like kind of your baby growing and, and, and um, in fact, impacting lives and helping kids, it just, it refuels us, I guess, in, in different ways. Um, but yeah, we both cry a lot at night, like, you know, by ourselves and <laughs> There's a lot. I tried. I have to talk Jess off the ledge a few times a week, but it's fine. No. <laughs> but is there ever a part of you that's like, man, if we just threw this on the wall, it would probably stick? Like, do you ever struggle with your own, uh, not control issues, but like your own? Well, yeah. I mean, do you ever struggle with your own control issues over it? Yeah. Do you ever think to yourselves, if I, if we just brought in like 10 more people, we could blow the, the yeah, pants so off that's a good thing. question. Um, it's our goal to grow the Mayfly project to be like, you know, an international organization, right? Like, um, like project healing waters or, you know, casting for recovery, you know, to, to be as big as they are. Right. So, um, just kind of like you said earlier, uh, we, um, you know, we, we specialize in our certain things. Like I'm, I'm a business guy, you know, I specialize in, um, you know, accounting and, you know, working with companies and Kate, Kate handles the social services aspect, you know, neither of us are very good at fundraising, you know, um, 
you know, uh, at all. But, you know, our goal is to make this, you know, an organization. And in 10 years, like, I hope when you think about the Mayfly Project, it's like, yeah, I don't even know who started that thing. You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't know who started Project Healing Waters. You know, um, I, I probably should know, but I, but I don't. And so, um, you know, our goal is to make this an organization. And this is this is not about Jess and Caitlin um, by any means. Right. Like the Mayfly Project is the Mayfly Project. And so, you know, there'll, there'll be a, a time and a place, right. Where, you know, nobody knows who Jess is. Nobody knows who Caitlin is. Right. Because there's other people that have taken over our roles, you know, that, that do the jobs way better than we can do, you know, cause there are people out there that I know could do this job better than me, you know? And so, um, yeah. So I think that's the overall goal. I've got to give you credit, Jess. I just think it's power, power in numbers, but I, I watch certain organizations that I respect and I watch them grow with power in numbers. And then I watch them just get, you know, they get put through the ringer because they had a bad apple or because something went wrong or because of an insurance issue. And so I just always wonder for people who really have their hearts in the right places, is it a constant battle with yourselves? Is like, we want to grow it, but we're super nervous about letting go of the reins because it could all fall south. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's definitely always, you know, in the, in the back of your mind, right? Like um, that, that could happen, you know, but um, you know, with, you know, hopefully right policies and procedures in place, both, you know, for the programs and both, you know, fiscally, right. You know, um, hopefully, you know, that, it, those are few and far between. So, you know, we're just hoping to build a super stable, you know, um, super respectable organization that, you know, like, like stands on its own and, you know, um, you know, cause I, I do know, right. There's these things like founder syndrome, right. Where, where the founder won't let go of the reins, you know, like that's definitely, you know, not, not saying that we don't have those moments every now and then, right. Like there was a point in time where it was like, nobody could write a handwritten note besides myself or Caitlin. I mean, that, that was a thing for a little while, but we try to, you know, um, like I said, try to, you know, try to, try to be good founders and try to, you know, obviously put our heart where, you know, in the organization and make sure that it grows properly and make sure that we just, you know, give it the um, right foundation to be uh, the amazing organization that Kate and I both believe it can be. I'm really excited to watch what you guys do with this. And I think that, when people hear this and more people get to know your story, uh, not just through the podcast, but through other material and other, um, you know, inspirational stories that I think that you guys are going to grow at a, at a very rapid rate. Um, and I'm excited to see where it lands you. Is, is there anything in particular that I've missed about the organization that you wanted to focus on? Caitlin, can you think of anything I've missed? I think the, the other part of the Mayfly project that we haven't really touched on is just our conservation initiative too. That's something we're really trying to ramp up. And, um, you know, when we talk about like these kids with abandonment issues and that kind of stuff, um, our goal is to provide a relationship for them, like a mentoring relationship, but our ultimate goal is to connect them to the outdoors because I don't know about you guys, but like when I'm outside, like I consider that a friend in some ways, like a place where I can go to, you know, decompress. And so our goal as, as the Mayfly Project is to really introduce these kids to these outdoor places. Cause a lot of these kids don't even know that there's public lands to enjoy. Like their minds are blown when we take them to a river and we're like, you can actually come here. And, um, and so with that, we think we have a responsibility too to teach these kids about conservation and, and learning like, hey, this is an awesome place. Like, let's take care of it. It very, seems very simple. Um, but for these kids that don't have a lot of connections with people and don't really see a future, um, 
you know, of a home, like Jess and I, that was our first language that we really realized together was like the definition of home, like wherever we go, as long as there's a river, like we can find kind of our home base. And so that's another aspect that we're really trying to introduce to these kids is just connecting with the outdoors and then also just taking care of it through conservation. You guys are just the best. I can't thank you guys enough for coming out of the show today. So I'll include the links to all of these, uh, to your website, obviously, and everything we've discussed will be included in the links. And um, I would love to do a follow-up with you guys when you guys go international, if that's sounds okay. Sounds awesome. Perfect. That sounds great. Cool. Thanks, thanks. guys. I'll talk to thanks you soon. Thanks, April. Awesome. Good, April. <laughs> and that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 